Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, we always say you're in the right place, and we always mean it because it's true. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a very brief observation from a report by PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and let me tell you what it is. This will set the stage for our conversation today. Quote, the strategic and financial importance of corporate real estate is growing. Let me just let that sink in. A couple of key words in there, corporate and real estate. Put them together. We're going to be talking about that. Let's do a couple of reality checks here. More than $10 trillion of the $25 trillion of U.S. real estate assets is or are, I'm not sure if it's is or are, are owned by companies, by municipalities, by institutions. But guess what? They are not in the real estate business. How important is this? Corporate real estate is the second largest balance sheet item and operating cost for most companies. Just let that sink in if you're a new young company and you're acquiring assets in real estate. If you're what I call a big behemoth, a very established company, you probably are saying, mm-hmm, that's right, that's right. So what's going on with this? Well, real estate is not getting the respect it deserves in the C-suite. Why not? Enterprises are looking elsewhere. They're overlooking the earnings and optimization potential of capital dedicated to real estate. But is it just a bottom line subject? No, it's a people subject because what you do with your space, how you allocate it, how you manage it, how you design it will optimize not only your workforce productivity, but your ability to attract and retain top talent. And isn't that what you really want? So welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. If you're keeping track, this is live show number 330. Oh my, we started this back in October 2011 and here we are. Topic officially today is real estate and your workforce. Yes, we're talking about the people aspect today, optimizing space and people management. I have three experts, as always, on the panel. They're all newcomers to Game Changers. Let me tell you briefly who they are and then we'll get started. In a moment, I'll be introducing you to David Wilk, W-I-L-K, if you want to look him up, Managing Director of Valuation and Advisory Services for Colliers International in Washington, D.C., and we'll find out from David what he does there and what they do. Joining him on the panel is Kay Sargent, if you want to look her up, S-A-R-G-E-N-T. She has a lot of letters after her name, A-S-I-D-I-I-D-A-C-I-D-L-E-E-D, with a, a, a copyright sign after it, A-P, and M. MCR.W, we'll find out what those all mean. She's a Senior Principal and Director of Workplace for Strategic Accounts at HOK, and she'll tell us what she does and what they do. Rounding out the panelist, John Chapman. I think he has three after his name, John Chapman the third, but he said I could just call him John Chapman today, Senior Solution Engineer with SAP. So welcome to our esteemed panelists. Let's start out with a quote that David Wilk has sent us. You know we start with inspirational quotes. He sent a quote from Jacob Reese, R-I-I. Yes, that's Jacob August Rees, lived from 1849 to 1914, a Dutch-American, I'm sorry, Danish-American, I guess I'm hungry, Danish-American social reformer and what was called a muckraking journalist and social documentary photographer. He was one of the most famous proponents of newly 
practical, casual photography. And one of the fathers of photography, I don't know if you knew this, David, due to his very early adoption of the flash in photography, he experienced poverty himself and became a police reporter in New York, writing about the quality of life in the slums and documented it through his photos. Here's the quote. When nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stone cutter, hammering away at his rock perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not that blow that did it, but all that had gone before. David Wilk, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Bonnie? I'm very well. I love the quote. I loved learning about Jacob Reese. I know I've seen the name, but I had no idea that he used photography to bring the living conditions of the poor, exposing them to readers, to people in New York, to the upper and middle classes who really needed to see the visuals. I think he was ahead of his time. David, tell me how you picked this quote, and what in the world does it have to do with our topic today? Uh, Thank you, Bonnie. Um, I actually picked the quote because back in 2013 and 14, my son worked for the San Antonio Spurs as a basketball operations intern. And I went down to visit him in San Antonio, and I walked in their corporate headquarters and their practice facility, and in the middle of the lobby was a rock, and it had this quote on it. And I literally still have chills to this day, because when I read it, I thought, oh my gosh, this is one of the greatest quotes I've ever seen, because it talks about the whole idea of persistence in life and never giving up and always realizing that everything that you did in your life before this moment is leading to what will happen in the future. And as soon as I saw that, I started asking him a bunch of questions. And I said, "Why? what is this? And he goes, Dad, this is the logo and uh, the philosophy and the culture of the San Antonio Spurs. And they call it Pounding the Rock. And if you actually look at their website, their website for the Spurs organization is poundingtherock.com. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this philosophy, who created this philosophy? And he basically said, this is really something that Greg Popovich, their coach, really espouses in their day-to-day activities, not only as basketball players, but also as human beings. And so the interesting thing about Jacob Reese and the quote, Bonnie, that, that you really spoke about was I never realized that he had such an affinity for sharing the plight of the poor and disenchanted uh, and making that more public through photography. But Greg Popovich is very much, he's very quiet. He doesn't talk a lot about what he does, but he gives away millions of dollars a year to underprivileged uh families and underprivileged children to help them to create a better life. So it was so inspirational to me that I literally have adopted that personal philosophy in everything I do in in my life, professionally and personally. I really appreciate that explanation, David. And let me just ask you one more question before I introduce Kay and her quote as well. Uh, David, when we talk about the real estate the corporate real estate, which we're talking about, and people. Is this something that takes a lot of work for companies to say, yeah, it's more than just a balance sheet of what is building A worth and what is building B worth and how many motion sensors do we put in so that we don't waste electricity and the lights only come on when somebody's there? Is this going to take that chipping and chipping away at the rock to get something perfect? Talk to me. I agree, yes. There's no question. And I think it comes in two or three different iterations. One is uh, the key to optimizing real estate and workspace within an organization is having it be um, created in a way that enhances productivity and employee engagement. 
And so that's number one. Number two, from a financial standpoint, most enterprises don't realize that real estate has the potential to be a huge earnings generator for them. But most of them feel Uh like it's just something that's a necessary evil. So by continuing to pound the rock on real estate, there's a huge opportunity to unlock enterprise value in that way. And uh, thirdly, the, uh, the biggest reason why it hasn't been at the forefront of the C-suite is because there's been a challenge in trying to figure out how do you measure the impact of real estate optimization. And so we're working on that. That's been a 20-year journey for me of pounding the rock to try and figure out how do we really present the numbers to the CFO and CEO as to how real estate can contribute to enterprise value. Thank you very much. We're hitting so many hot topics here under the heading of corporate real estate and workforce space management. Thank you, David. And thank you for being one of the first people to sign on for this topic. I know you helped my colleague Jennifer Bucco with a lot of setting up for this show. So thank you very much. And now I'm pleased to welcome Kay Sargent, a lady who has so many letters after her last name. We're going to have to find out what those are. Kay is at HOK. And Kay has sent us a quote from John Le Carre. Kay, when I looked him up, I thought I was in the wrong place because I put into, of course, my Google search bar, John Le Carre, and I know how to use the accent goo on a Macintosh keyboard. It's a simple question of hitting the alt and the E twice and the little accent appears. But what I found, Kay, was that his real name was David John Moore Cornwell, born in 1931, and his pen name is John Carré, and I know he was a British author of espionage novels. He worked for the Security Office and the Secret Intelligence Service, and his third novel is the one that became an international bestseller, The Spy Who Came In From the Cold. In uh, I don't know the exact year. I think it was after that book debuted in the mid-60s. He left MI6 to become a full-time author. So here's the quote Kay has selected from John le Carré, or whatever he calls himself. It's important to live it, (laughs) to to experience things, and to see things from a different perspective. It's also important that we move. Sitting stagnantly is killing us faster than what any wall is off-gassing. Such a colorful quote. Kay Sargent, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? I'm well, thank you very much. Yeah, I think he said that a desk is a dangerous place to watch the world from. And I I think, you know, we we kind of look at that in the interiors world and really embrace that concept that I think a lot of spaces that we've designed today are, you know, we're trying to over-convenience people, quite frankly. And we've designed spaces that are lulling people into inactivity. And if anybody's seen the movie WALL-E, and I think we're getting dangerously close to this world where we're over-conveniencing ourselves into uh, being totally lethargic. And we need to rethink because we are the only things that have legs and can move and are flexible. And yet somehow we've designed spaces as if people are potted plants and they're never meant to move. <laughs> Kay, tell me something. In your work for HOK, and when we get around to the What's in Your Cup Today segment, I'll ask you about all those, the alphabet you're carrying after your last name and what HOK mm. does. But in terms of moving, is this the, I'll call it the wheelhouse or the bailiwick or the purview of the people who are acquiring the real estate assets for companies, Kay? Or is this a separate division who may or may not be siloed from the people who look at the balance sheet on assets? Somebody who says, you know, 
Those cubicles really aren't working so well. People are having trouble finding each other. They're not having conversations. And also, Kay, just quickly, we're a very mobile workforce. We are telecommuters. I haven't worked in an office in probably two years. So in terms of spaces, we still need to make them attractive. You can answer any or all of those above, Kay. Just love a little POV from you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sorry. So, so look, I mean, corporate real estate. Yeah, corporate real estate is responsible for not only where we have buildings and where we house our people, but then how they're they're designed and they're fitted out and how people are functioning in those. And they're often uh, involved in the mobility programs, et cetera. And I think for years and years, you know, there was this notion that everybody had to come to the office and you wanted everybody to be there. And then we got untethered from the workplace and people could mm-hmm. work anytime, anywhere. But I think we're creatures of habit. And I think we're social animals. We like to be together. And so what we're finding is that it's really a balance between the two. The ability to choose what is the right environment for you to work in. There might be days that that's, you know, you might want to work from home, and that's fine. But there are other days that you want to come to the office. But if you're going to the office, you're probably going to connect with people. And so are we designing spaces that allow people to do that? And are we designing spaces that are enticing enough and intriguing enough and an amazing enough experience that people actually want to be there? Because today you have choices. You don't have to go to work, right? In the 80s, you had to go to work. You don't have to do that. Work can go wherever you are. And so it's totally changed the game about how we deliver and design workplaces today. Thank you very much, Kay. Looking forward to learning more about you. Appreciate your being on the panel. And now let's go a little farther around the table to John Chapman III. I don't have to keep saying the third, do I, John? Is that okay? I certainly hope you don't. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. And John is doing one of something that we love. He is quoting a line from a movie. Anybody who remembers The Spy Game, a 2001 film, Robert Redford played Nathan D. Muir, M-U-I-R. It was an American spy film directed by Tony Scott. In addition to Redford, it starred Brad Pitt. Woohoo! The film grossed $62 million in the U.S. and $143 million worldwide and received mostly positive reviews, although I don't think Roger Ebert was that impressed because I read his review. I'm not going to tell you the plot, but it's fascinating. Here is the quote where Nathan D. Muir, as I said, played by Robert Redford, is speaking to his assistant, who is named Gladys. I had to put that in. So here's the quote. When did Noah build the ark, Gladys? Before the rain. Before the rain. I can't do a good Redford conversational accent here, so I just did the best I could. John Chapman, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm doing great today. Thank you, and thank you for having me today. We're delighted. Can you do a Robert Redford impersonation, or shouldn't I even ask? Uh, not very well, but, you know, I just, uh, you know, when did Noah build the ark, Gladys? Before the rain. Before the rain, right? And so, you know, it was just, you know, it's, that was one of those quotes that just struck me because, you know, my parents always hammered into me, you know, plan for the worst, hope for the best, because I was one of those who always planned for the best. And, uh, you know, and they hammered it into me, you know, to, to be prepared. You know, the same thing I learned in the Boy Scouts. And, you know, and ironically, you know, Robert Redford's uh, protege, Brad Pitt, was, was uh, codenamed Boy Scout, you know, in that movie. And so all those things hammered into me. And this is a clever way to kind of roll up you know, how I've been living my life, how I try to, you know, plan for things. And a lot of that's the conservative me in me that's uh, a CPA. 
but you know it's always trying to think a few moves ahead you know prepare for your best scenarios but but keep in mind that the worst case scenarios and other disruptors can can change your plans overnight so when i heard that that quote it just just hit me immediately you know so so tell me, John, we're talking about corporate real estate management. We've got some interesting points from your colleagues on the panel. So when you're thinking about corporate real estate management and the people aspect, the workspace, the workforce, as Kay said, don't let people sit too long. And as the, the warning from John Le Carre, how does this relate to being prepared before the rain? Is this before people walk out of an office and say, this is really an awful place. I'm not coming to the office anymore. They don't know anything about designing a comfortable community communication-friendly, people-friendly space. When is before the rain in your quote applied to our topic, John? You, you know, I think it's taking, you know, the information that you have today and something that we really don't do a very good job of, of, of analyzing how we're using our space today and then getting that crystal ball out and figuring out what am I going to need in five years? You know, like you said before, 10 years ago, you know, working from home would have never been a uh, you know anybody's thought, but now it is. And so we we took a, an immediate approach to well, we can reduce our space instead of knowing that we we still need co you know co shared space because people are going to have to come to the office to work on some group projects. People are going to have that social interaction needed in their life, and you know, and accordingly, we 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 find ourselves in a place where we have a lot of underused space in 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 our offices. And we find that, you know, they're underused, but they're reserved for people who aren't sitting there. We haven't looked forward. How do we plan for what, what our built, where our business is going? And what are those disruptors that might hit us? Are we getting, you know, if we're looking down the road at acquisitions and needing more space potentially for, for new employees or, you know, all of those different factors, you know, come into mind. And we don't really do a good job of that. You know, we, we look at today and it's X management. And I think it gets back to where David was is that real estate just doesn't have a lot of that, you know, appeal in the C-suite, you know, as far as how do you have funding for, you know, for these to, to rearrange, you know, your redesign, your workspace. How do you, you know, justify that cost today? And I think that, you know, there's a mindset change that has to occur in how we view corporate real estate and how we plan, you know, and be prepared for all of those, you know, eventualities. Thank you very much. Before we go to where are you calling from and what's in your cup today, something has just popped into my head. And as you probably know, I'm going to ask it. I'm going to go around the table just briefly with David Wilk and then Kay Sargent and then John Chapman. When I read about new workspaces that are coming into the fore for startups, for entrepreneurs, for people who want to get their startup creative juices going but want to talk to people during the day, I'm seeing and reading about shared workspaces, communities, if you will, where it's all open plan. There's just desks or corners or whatever. People can come. They can sit at a desk. They can walk around. They can talk to other people in a collaborative environment. Is this something that big companies should start to emulate for their on-premise employees? Just a quick sidebar from you, David, and then Kay and John Chapman. Go ahead, David. Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, To answer your question, yes, not only should they, but there's a lot of companies that are realizing that the whole magic to productivity and employee engagement is the social interaction piece. And so there's actually a whole new generation of space, not only what we would call office space, but workspace that's been mushrooming in the last few years, as witnessed by WeWorks and other types of hubs where you're basically creating hubs of interaction and almost 
if you call them innovation hubs, where people are uh, want to be. This is a, this is what people want to be around: is other people that have high energy, that want to discuss and interact, and that have the technology piece to it, but also the social piece, which is critical. It's almost why the some of the coffee shops and some of the fast casual restaurants have become hubs of activity where people bring their computers and hang out all day because they like the idea of being around other people. So this is a huge, um, what I would call game-changing type of space that's going to become more and more popular in the future. And what's happening is corporations are actually bringing in some of these companies to create that uh, space within their uh, different facilities. Thank you very much. Kay, love to get your thoughts on this. What are you observing in your world? Because I know you're very, this is your area of expertise. What do you see and what's good about it or not? So I think one of the challenges that we face in our industry is that there's no common understanding of what the terms are, right? So open plan is something that we did probably in the 90s. And quite frankly, most people don't do open plan and haven't done that. We actually have kind of morphed and gone into activity-based working, neighborhood-based choice, memo environments, agile spaces, and co-working is absolutely a slice of that. Uh, And I think the secret sauce of co-working really has been two things. It creates a great sense of community and a user experience, and it gives and choices. And I think you almost have to flip the question on its head and say, you know, why are people willing to go pay to be in a space like that when a lot of them have actually have access to space? Because right now, 51% of the people that are going to co-working spaces actually work for big companies. And so we actually believe a better question is, why has corporate office space lost its mojo? And we think that it's lost its mojo because they're not focused anymore on creating great experiences and fostering a sense of community. They've always kind of taken it for granted that you have to go to work. And so nobody's Mm -hmm. trying to make that a compelling experience, right? The arrival experience, going through a reception area, being at the office is really kind of drudgery for a lot of people. But co-working has made it sexy. They've made it so that you're greeted by somebody, they connect you with people, they have planned activities, and so there's an energy or a vibe, a UX or a user experience that people are thriving on, and that is trumping everything else. And so people are really going to that space. But even co-working has morphed to kind of big box serviced office models, managed office models and are really kind of changing the whole real estate perspective and being a huge disruptor in the industry today. Thank you, Kay. Great insights. John, no pressure. We've had some really good input on the idea of co-working and shared open, innovative, community-style spaces from our other two panelists. What would you like to add? You know, I think the I think that where I would where I would add something is that when we think about design spaces, and you know, and, and I thought, you know, Katie did an awesome job there of of, of all the you know, of the the life cycle of where we've gone in the last twenty years. But I think it's it's the approach that too is often we take is that one size fits all, and it doesn't. Um, you know, I think that we you know, or we have, we we lay the we, we provide the physical you know layout for the with these new designs, but we don't lay out the protocols for employees to follow on how they work there. Right? You know, there's there's a lot of distractions. Um, there's a lot of times when additional spaces are more private spaces are needed. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a you know a real need for companies not just to to grab the latest 
the latest trend and go ahead and install. It's more of a, you know, they really have to do the analysis of who's using my space. You know, what type of people are getting together here? When they get together, is it a shared space for, for project work? Where people, where employees need that type of collaboration and that type of open area, or is it more of a hoteling type of environment? You know, or is there a, a need for for combination of both? You know, and I think we really need, you know, and companies really need to take a hard look at, at how they're doing this. You know, you know, instead of just doing a one size fits all for their, you know, as they're redesigning their workspaces, and you know, to to mitigate a lot of these different factors. Thank you. I'm recalling when I worked for Nokia on the IntelliSync suite marketing side uh, when they were in White Plains, New York. I don't know if David or Kay or John ever remember. They were in an absolutely gorgeous building in an executive park off of the Hutchinson River Parkway. I think the building mm-hmm. had formerly been owned I by do. IBM. I remember. I worked in that building. We, we did a lot of work oh. for them. God, that was magnificent. Anyway, it was a schlep across the bridge, but I love working there. But I remember we had so many employees in that office that one day we got a memo and it said, if you're not at your desk at least three times a week, it will become shared workspace. So whatever you leave that's personal... It's not that it won't be there next time. It's that other people are going to be using your desk. So we had to basically stake a claim to our desks, Kay, that we were going to be there either three times a week or, hey, it's up for grabs. Anybody can sit there. That was one experience. The other was years ago I worked for a correspondent bank. Um, I, I won't even tell you what I did, but I was still a programmer back in the day. And we had those cubicles with the pink fabric on the outside. Remember the tweed? And the question was, are the walls Mom. high enough for – remember? Are the walls high yeah. enough for privacy? And Kay, we were always thinking, the people on either side of my office, even though I had a window office, people on either side can hear everything I'm saying, and I can hear them, and how am I going to have a private conversation with a client or with a colleague if I hear somebody talking through this thin wall? So the the concept of offices in space has really changed. And one day my manager called me in and he said, keep your door open. And I said, why? He said, I want you to be more collaborative with the team that you hired. They sent me to a job fair and said, come back with eight employees. We need to staff a new division. And I went to a job fair and I hired eight people. I had no clue. But anyway, they said, you have to collaborate more. You have to Dumb down what you do to bring everybody's levels up. And by doing that, Bonnie, the door has to be open. Are we seeing that in terms of is it more natural today? Let me start with Kay and then quickly go around the table. I know we have a lot of content that you've all provided, but this is such an interesting conversation, at least to me. Kay, what are you seeing in terms of the concept that an office is not a place to be private and to be quiet? What are you seeing? Yeah, so, so let me give you an analogy. We've always designed office space like it's, it's a one-room efficiency apartment. Okay, you go to your little cubicle or your work point and, or your office, and it's supposed to be everything for you. And you don't have a lot of options and choices, right? It's all right there for you, and you're just kind of all overwhelmed. But if you think about the way we design houses, okay, you might have a touchdown, your bedroom that you go to, but you have a whole variety of other areas that you can go to and utilize. And one day, you might spend all day in the kitchen. Another day, you might spend all day in the den or the living room, and you can choose. And the number of people that occupy that space can vary because you're not all in the same space at the same time. And so that's the concept of going from how many people do we have to design, everybody has an assigned desk, to 10 years ago, we really started thinking about, well, what are people doing? And let's design to the task, activity-based working. And now it's really evolved to what is the experience people want to have. And so, you know, we're not, people look at it like we're taking something away, 
what we're really doing is we're giving you more options and choices, and we're treating you like an adult. You know, we're designed offices like you're still in kindergarten and you have to go, the bell rings, you sit in one spot and you're stuck there all day, you don't have a choice, versus designing them more like people are in college where you are intelligent enough to know what you need to get accomplished today. If you need to go sit in a quiet room, you go do that. It's available. If you want to sit at a team table because you're social and you need to connect with your team, you do that. So it's all about empowering employees, giving them options and choices, and treating them like an adult so that they can be more productive, happier, and more engaged. Wow, great insights. David, you want to add something to that? Any observations? And then John? Sure. I think Kay really nailed it. And again, this is why it's so exciting to have someone like her on the call today because it's this is such a, an area of fruitful potential in the future. But, you know, when I think of the workspace, I really think about um, the voice of the customer. And really, the customer is the employee. And mm-hmm. when we really think about the different set market segments that we work with, there's so many different applications of space management for them. For example, if you think about a large public company or a private company as, a, as an enterprise, and then you think about a government, which is also a huge user of space and workforce, and then you have private equity, and then you have universities, and you have uh, hospitals and healthcare organizations, and then you have nonprofits. So each one of those market segments, which we wind up working with through our real estate practices and consulting, has a different mission, and the mission itself, in theory, should be the basis for creating workspace for them. And so the the idea is that, to me, the holy grail between corporate real estate and workspace or workflow is trying to figure out how do you connect the workspace to productivity and the experience so that you have great retention, you have great productivity, and you have high happiness levels and satisfaction levels from your customers who are your employees. And so that, that's why it's so critical to not follow what someone else has done and say, oh, okay, we should go to an op- open work plan because that's what other people are doing. It's so critical, as John Chapman said, to really understand what your business is calling for and what the future looks like in terms of your needs so that you can design something that really contributes to your profitability and enterprise value. Thank you very much, John Chapman. You you've been summoned. Yes, John, love to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, yeah. Again, I get to follow the, the, those great comments because uh, um, you know it was uh, you, you know what David was just saying. I you know just you know hit me hard again because I think that you know one of the the, the things that that we face is the toughest for real estate you know and corporate real estate executives is the view that we don't contribute. To anything you know in the company mm-hmm. other than putting a roof over the head and you know in today's market is you know we start looking at employees especially younger employees you know the millennials and now the, the gen zers you know they are going to be looking and for you know that type of environment where they feel that they can flourish and that's going to be an important decision maker you know to get young talent and and to keep it and you know in the past it's been you know i think it, it was reversed you know the the employee you know was more dependent on does the company need me and now, you know, it's, it's in reverse. The company is, how do I keep these guys? How do I keep my, my, the, the best young talent out there? And, and, you know, and, and it is by having an inviting environment, 
an environment where they can work together with uh, with their with their peers, you know, and, and giving them something that they look forward to when they do go to work, you know, if they're not working on a remote schedule. So I think that it's important to it's the importance of real estate's really you know jumping up the line, and, and, and companies have to realize that and, and plan accordingly. Thank you very much. I don't know if the three of you realize that you're all newcomers to Game Changers, but I've totally changed the format on today's show because this is such a fascinating topic. And I'm warning the three of you, this is so good and there's so much to talk about that I'm automatically inviting you back for part two. So please now, no pressure, Kay, John, and David, just say yes, okay? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. yes absolutely. Good, okay. Thank you. It'll be in October or November. We're almost booked for the rest of the year, but we have to do more. Now, I promised everybody the What's in Your Cup Today segment, and I realize I've derailed that a little bit. No, we're not taking a break. There's just too much to talk about. David Wilk, you're up first. Colliers, Colliers International, what do you do there? Uh, what do you do, and where are you calling from? And we still have to ask you, what's your most favoritist, as the kids would say, your most favoritist drink in the whole wide world that powers you to smile and be so smart. Go ahead, David. Thank you. Uh, I am uh, in Washington, D.C., and uh, I head up our uh, Colliers International Valuation and Advisory Group in Washington. And uh, it's a very exciting uh, profession. I've been doing this for uh, almost 40 years. And basically what we do is we value and all types of commercial, industrial, special purpose, and even residential properties for different types of clients, banks, pension funds, government institutions, law firms, corporations. Um, but the real uh, key or the, or the real heart of valuation is the whole idea that we're all about value. And so it's, it's easy to estimate value when you have property and you have data and you have the ability to do cash flow analysis and sales comparisons and cost analyses and things like that. But what's really turned me on about the valuation business and that we're really looking, looking as, as our future goal is to be value creators and to be value enhancers and to be innovators when it comes to delivering new value to our clients. As, as in terms of our professional activities. And so, and that's, that's an area that is also underappreciated, similar to corporate real estate, because most people, when they hear the word real estate, Bonnie, they automatically think of a residential sales agent. And they, say, they don't realize that there's this entire incredible profession called valuation and appraisal, which is wide open for young and, and old and older talented people that are really looking for something where they're in, immersed in the middle of, of, of the value world. And so uh, I not only try to create uh, practices that do valuations all around the country and in, around the world, but I also teach it at several universities where I'm a professor and uh, where we're trying to create a new generation of business leaders who understand the importance of real estate as a, an industry asset and, and corporate um, direction. Thank you very much. And I just heard that, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say we lost Kay, and I hope she calls back before I'm ready, so I'll go to John. But what do you drink that makes you so powerful in what you do, David? Water, water, water. Water is the staff of life. And... I I just love water. I drink a little bit of cappuccino and every now and then some Jack Daniels. But um, but most importantly, water is my <laughs> you know my favorite and constant friend. 
How did we get from Howard Cappuccino Smith. to Jack Daniels? I didn't, I didn't get that connection. <laughs> that goes back to my college days. I've kind of outgrown that a little bit, but you know, every now Why? and then I get I like, the, I, I, <laughs> I like to get my children and my wife to laugh a little bit. So I either make a joke about having six or eight Jack Daniels, or you know, to telling them whether it's time for a tequila night or something like that. I, I like that a lot. I was just having trouble making the connection. Okay, K Sergeant, couple questions. Glad we got you back. K, you have so many letters after your last name. I'd like to know what some or all of them mean. I know we're going through the alphabet here. Where are you calling from today, and what power is K Sergeant? I know that you you were uh, speaking with Mike Petruski in May this year, uh, yeah. talking about the impact of on the worker impact of the workplace on the worker of the future. You summarized the key trends in the marketplace. You talked about artificial intelligence with Mike, the evolution of workspace design, elevating workplace experiences, and the essential role of human beings in the workplace of the future. See, I, I did look you up. So, And there's a recording uh, webinar as well of that conversation, and it was called The Big Shift with Kay Sargent. So, Kay, tell me about the letters. Where are you, and what do you love to drink? So, first of all, I have five children, so I don't drink. Maybe an occasional glass of wine, because if I started drinking, I may never stop with all those kids. But I am, uh, I am an iced tea addict. I'm a good Southern girl. I'm a Virginia girl. I'm calling from Washington, D.C., but um, that really is my, my vice, iced tea, is, is my drink of choice. And I am actually in Washington, D.C. today. I usually am traveling, uh, but I'm actually here in uh, the nation's capital, so I'm excited about that. And those initials after my name, um, American Society of Interior Designers, Certified Interior Designer, Master of Corporate Real Estate with a Workplace Expertise, uh, International Interior Design Association, and a well accredited professional. That's what all those initials mean. I'm impressed. I didn't know you were a mom of five. Can you give us the age range if you'd like to? Uh, from 16 to 26. And they're either keeping oh. me alive longer or killing me faster. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> Depends on what day it is. I'm just going to say bravo. Kay, I've looked at several. You sent me a whole bunch of photos for us to use in the promo. And every photo, you're just smiling and smiling and smiling. So whatever you're drinking or not drinking, I know it's keeping you alive. Tell me something. Did you ever have the uh, – I'm down here in Durham, North Carolina. I relocated almost 10 months ago from Long Island. So you know what kind of a huge culture change I'm going through. Yes. But they like sweet iced tea down here. Do you like sweet iced tea or Long Island's iced tea, which does have a lot of booze in it? What's your Pref. Yeah, no, I'm just a straight up black iced tea girl, but I have to sweeten it myself. And, you know, I need lots of extra sweetness. You know, the more sweetness I can get, the better. But yeah, I like to sweeten it myself. Thank you very much, K Sergeant. Pleasure to have you. And John Chapman, where are you? What do you love to drink? And just give us a little background on what you do at SAP, please. All right. Well, you know, first of all, I am, uh, I'm not in Washington, D.C. Um, I am in St. Louis, Missouri. This is my home. <laughs> okay. uh, and I uh, lived here all my life. Um, I work at SAP, and, and I now work in uh, what we call our uh, pre-sales solution engineering group. So I've done, you know, I'm a CPA. That's the only letters I have behind my name. Um, but I was, that's uh, plenty. I was a CPA. I'm sorry? I said that's plenty. We like those letters. Go ahead. Uh, they're good letters, and uh, they serve me well. Um, but, you know, I, I worked, I said, was working with a corporation and, uh, and and got into the real estate, you know, corporate real estate management, you know, processes about 20 years ago and 
was fascinated by, by all the uh, thought that went into it because prior to that, I thought that it was simply, hey, the light bulbs burnt out of my cubicle. You know, I, I had no idea of, of all of the, 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 the work and the thought and process that went around real estate. And, and, and I dove in and found some technical solutions through SAP that I, that I worked with and, if, you know, and now morphed into a, more of a solution engineer where I can now work with customers and help them start thinking down that path instead of X management. I need to do this today. What, you know, what can we do tomorrow? You know, how are you, what are you thinking about for next year? And, and I really uh, enjoy that. Um, as far as my drink of choice, I, I am a, I'm a coffee guy. I have always, uh, you know, I've been a coffee guy. Um, right now, I'm uh, I'm in my Kona coffee mode from uh, mm. with, with with good Kona from Hawaii, and it, it just brings back good memories and some nice vacations too. So it's a good way to wake up in the morning. Thank you very much. And in case the three of you are interested, they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And a couple, couple of hours after this show, I'm debuting a brand new series called Game Changing Perfection. Perf- Predictive Machine Learning, that's a mouthful. Brand new series. We just opened a new time slot, Wednesdays at 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, so I have to keep my wits about me. So all I'm allowed to have, at least that's what they tell me, is cool, clear water. I only drink decaf anyway. Cool, clear water and a cool, clear mug that I brought with me from New York. And I have a pink straw because it's a beautiful sunny day, not a cloud. Well, there's one over there across the street. Little tiny cloud in the sky. We hit 97 degrees Fahrenheit here in Durham yesterday. The plants on my screened porch in the back of the house are just crying for water all day long. So I I do a mercy run, and I just give them a little bit of not-too-cold water to not shock them. They can't even make it through the day. It's so hot and so heavy out. Today, we're only having 93, so we're having cool relief. (laughs) Ha-ha. Anyway, I'm glad to have the three of you, and guess what? It's 44 after, and there's absolutely no time to take a break, but I told you that already. So we have a couple of options here. Um, I can pick a topic. I think I will from David's list here and David then we'll quickly go around the table and whatever we didn't use in terms of all the great prep work the three of you did we'll use it again for part two so there's all I need from the three of you is just a new opening quote and that's it there's no work at all and I'll send you a date so David I'm looking at your notes here and let's see here Um, let's go back to one of the core topics I introduced in the opening about corporate real estate is not getting the respect that's a good way of putting it from the C-suite let me read this David says even though real estate is usually the first or second largest balance sheet item in operating expense, most enterprises are not optimizing real estate in the workplace. What does it take for a wake-up call, David? Is this conversation we're having today with you and Kay and John, are people going to listen and say, oh, I'm supposed to optimize my real estate? It matters what the space looks like. It's going to help me retain and gain better talent is this a revelation david and give me two minutes and then we'll go around and see what kay and john have to say please sure thank you um i don't know if it's a revelation what what i've really found is over the last 20 years um when i was at ernst and young and we were doing management consulting for mergers and acquisitions and other other companies that we would talk to the CEO and the CFO and we would say, let us do a diagnostic. Let us be almost like a real estate doctor where we come in and do a diagnostic on your real estate portfolio and come up with a payoff matrix that shows you where the areas of opportunity are, not only the payoff amount, but also the ease of implementation for that. And we would do that and they would be really interested in kind of the concept of that. 
but then when we got to that point, they would turn to us and they would say, How do, this is all well and good, and we really agree that there is a potential here to really elevate our optimization of real estate. But how, show me the numbers. I mean, that's, as you can probably imagine with CEOs and CFOs, it's always about mm-hmm. the numbers. And so we said, well, if you give us a chance to engage with your team, we can absolutely come up with a um, future and current state financial analysis. And this is something that John and I have talked about before in some of our other interactions. And we can give you a snapshot of actually the cents per share of earnings that we can deliver if you give us the opportunity to optimize your real estate. And their eyes lit up. And then what happened was, after that conversation, it sunk down to priority number 8 to 10 on their top Mm. 10 list, and it never saw the light of day. So Mm. what I've tried to do to kind of counteract that and to reverse and create more awareness is is two things. One, uh, I spend a lot of time teaching real estate optimization at uh, Johns Hopkins University and University of Delaware and also at Temple University, and we're actually creating coursework in their business schools on real estate asset optimization so that when we're getting global MBAs who are going to be the future CFOs and CEOs of the of enterprises, they're actually learning the strategic importance of real estate as business school students, which is very rare because only one or two business schools in the country actually teach uh, real estate optimization or corporate real estate. And um, secondly, what we're doing is we're creating, we've done symposia around the country through different universities where we bring the business community together and we talk to them about how do you optimize real estate and how do you really think about real estate almost as a category of infrastructure. And so I'll stop there because that, that'll be something that we can kind of add on to. But real estate is really a form of hard and soft infrastructure within every corporation and in every community. So it's not like we're talking about something that's just limited to corporations. It's really an omniscient type of um, need around the country. Thank you very much. Great insights. Kay Sargent, love to get your thoughts on this aspect of are they taking it seriously? Why not? When will they? And do they really need to? Kay? So they need to, but I think there's three reasons why they don't. Uh, number one, I think, is reporting structure. I think corporate real estate often has has flown up through the chief financial officer, and they care about money and metrics uh, versus flowing up through HR or operations, et cetera. I think the second thing is uh, the metrics, and we, we talked about that briefly. But, you know, at the end of the day, about – uh, 80 to 90% of a company's resources go towards their people costs. Only about 10% goes to real estate and about 10% goes to IT. If we, and they're so focused on squeezing that 10% of real estate, but what, they, what they're not realizing is if we do anything to negatively impact the people, we could actually cost a company more money than we're saving them if we do the wrong thing to their real estate. And so it has a huge impact on that 80% pocket that is, you know, the money that's going towards the people. And I have never, ever had a CEO come to me and say, oh, my God, I couldn't sleep last night because I'm so worried about how much square footage Johnny is sitting in. What they worry about today is their ability to innovate fast enough to stay relevant and the war for talent that we're in right now. And so we are measuring the wrong things. 
we're measuring cost per square foot and things like that. Where we really need to be measuring, are we, you know, the productivity and are we measuring this, you know, how are we connecting people in a way that they have access to decision makers so they can have a speed to innovation? Are we retaining the people? Are they happy? Are they engaged? Because the other interesting statistic here is that 70% of the U.S. workforce is disengaged. So if you think about this, 80% of your money is going towards your people, and 70% of that 80% is barely showing up for you. And so when we're all sitting here worrying about the cost of corporate real estate, real estate is cheap compared to the cost of people. And so we really need to be focusing on the human-centric measurements and how do we improve that. Thank you very much. When you mentioned happiness, Kay, it reminds me, uh, I did a voiceover summary of an article on SAP's digitalismag.com talking about Tony Shea, who was the CEO of Zappos, and he wrote a book called Delivering Happiness, and it sounds like that's something a lot of companies and C-suite need to take a look at. It does matter. I don't know if it's a soft attribute or or how, you know, we talk about soft soft skills and hard skills, but it certainly does matter. Kay, one quick question before we get two minutes from John and then get Get ready because we're going to do a really fast lightning round of predictions from the three of you. Question is, is this mostly focused on the needs or the demands of millennials in the workforce, Kay? Or does everybody who goes to an office, to a workspace, want to be happy and included and feel like there's a sense of community? What's your thought on, on demographics? Yeah, so, so I think the, the millennials have been grossly misjudged, and I think too much emphasis is put and put on the millennials as well. And we already have the Gen Zs that are coming, and we have the baby boomers that aren't going away anytime fast. And what Hello. we're finding <laughs> is as the millennials are aging, their preferences aren't that different than a lot of the other groups. I think it has a lot to do with life stages. And I think we need to stop focusing on individual demographic groups and think about the collective whole, because we need to have a happy, healthy workforce all across the spectrum. We can't afford to lose the people at the top because we're so focused on the people that are coming in, and we can't afford to not create great spaces that are attracting people because the older generation feels so entitled to something. We need to find that balance. Thank you. John Chapman, I can give you, oh, we're in predictions round already. John, I tell you what. Why don't you couch your remarks on any or all of the above in, tr- in the form of a prediction of what's going to change in the next X number of days, months, minutes, hours, or years. So you'll start the predictions round because I want to make sure you get that time. And then I'll circle back to David and then we'll wrap it up with Kay. We have uh, about four and a half minutes left. So John, predict for me what's going to change about real estate and your workforce optimizing space and people management. John Chapman, go. Well, when I see, when I hear, you know, Kate talking about the need to, to retain employees, the need to make employees happy, you know, I think real estate managers are going to get that crystal ball out and try to find, you know, methods to, to figure out what do I need to do to, to make these people happy? What do I need to do to, to maximize the utilization of my space? And, and they're going to use technology. I think we're going to see technology continue to, to grow you know, exponentially in the, in the real estate management area, the use of big data, the use of AI and machine learning, you know, you know the ability to, to use AI and machine learning to ma- manipulate, you know, large amounts of data so that you can see trends, so that you can start to predict where you're going to need employees, where you're going to need space, and plan, and plan for all these things. I think it's going to be a little more efficient, but I think it's going to take that, techno- that technological advancement in the real estate community to to really get us up there. 
Thank you very much. I save 60 seconds for David Wilk at Collier's International. Predict for me, please, David. Okay, personal prediction and a wishful prediction. Okay. Uh, enterprises will realize that real estate needs a seat at the table in the C-suite. There's chief executive officer, chief financial, chief marketing, chief information, chief um, chief administrative. There needs to be a chief real estate officer in every mm. enterprise in the future. And that will create the ability to measure and metric and really enhance the contribution of real estate to the enterprise in the future. And was there a personal one in there you wanted? On the personal side, we've, over the last, it's literally taken 20 years of pounding the rock. We have developed an app that is going to be a diagnostic on how corporations can optimize their real estate. And so my prediction is that we will be able to to technologically enhance the answers to how you optimize real estate and how you measure it in the future. And um, I'm excited to share that with the industry, which we've been trying to do through university, through the boardroom, and through the classroom. Well, now the world knows about it. K-Sergeant, I saved exactly 60 seconds for you. K-Sergeant, go. Uh, Big data and artificial intelligence and the sharing economy are going to collide to be a major disruptor in how we deliver corporate real estate going forward. The roles are going to shift, and we're going to create opportunities where there's kind of really generic space and then very, very bespoke space. And so I believe that that's going to happen probably in the next five years, but we're already starting to see that morphing and changing right now. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point, I appreciate it. Thank you to three of you for your flexibility and your wonderful smiles. I can see, boy, I love when people send me smiling headshots. That really makes my life easy because I've got your pictures here in front of you. I'm talking to you for the whole hour. This has been a very, very interesting conversation. Those of you who've been listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers, our flagship series for many years, I don't think we've ever covered corporate real estate. So thank you again to my colleague Jennifer Buco, B-U-K-O, for bringing this topic to my attention and for engaging David, who engaged Kay, and Jennifer got John, and there we have it. Great panel. I will send all three of you a date for part two, and it'll be a date. So Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Shout out, of course, to Jennifer I mentioned, and to Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio, the business channel, for getting us on the air and keeping us there. Here's my call to action. You all know it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like David Wilk, just like Kay Sargent, and just like John Chapman. Have a great day. I'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern with a brand new series. We're talking about predictive machine learning. You don't want to miss that one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.